This last week, I was in humid, very humid, Princeton, New Jersey, for a class uh, for on work and faith. It's something that you'll hear more about in the coming months. But one of the reasons I was able to go and learn a lot there was because of the person who will be teaching uh, this morning in my place. Tyler, he's sitting right over there. You can come stand here or you can stay seated. You're going to be standing for a while. Uh, Tyler has had a relationship with Bethany for the past two and a half years or so. Uh, he, was, he was a pastor, is a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, was out in Sammamish for 20 or some odd years. He's old. Um, he could still take me though. Um, but, and then he was the interim pastor out at Bethany West Seattle when we were in between uh, pastors out there. He still does interim work for uh, Presbyterian churches, but we stole him for today and I'm happy about that. So if you'd welcome Tyler, Give him the Ballard welcome. An old shot, even before I stand up, man. Hey, good to, uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, before I, I get into my message, I just wanted to say I am a huge fan of your pastor, Brad. Love this dude. And I'm, I'm not just saying this, I, I mean this, and I actually have some reasons why I'm saying this. Number one, Brad is really nice to my son, and for the parents, for any parents here, right, you like my kid, I like you. And uh, my, my, the younger of my two kids is a college student, and the last couple of years, he and I, in May, have gone up to the Malibu Men's Retreat. And my son, whose name is Mason, has had a chance to meet Brad. And I don't know if Brad feels this, but Mason really likes Brad. And they kind of hit it off. And Brad kids around with him, which is great. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. But at a deeper level, I like it that my son sees this big burly dude and knows that he is a follower of Jesus Christ and I, I just like that kind of dynamic, so thanks, thanks for that. Uh, so that's one reason, I, and I have a whole sermon coming. This is just my Brad part of my message. <laughs> my second reason is when I did serve at, at Bal, uh, Bethany West Seattle, I got to go to the Monday like pastor uh, sermon prep group, which is, is really great, and got to know Brad in that context, and I tell you, he's a guy who loves scripture, and he loves you, and I just don't think you, it gets better than that for a pastor. You want, a, you want both. You want your pastor, your teacher, to be a person who loves scripture and loves the, the flock that God has entrusted to his care, so Brad always uh, impressed me on, on, on both counts. And then the third reason I'm a big fan of Brad is that Brad is a fan of USC. That's a, that, I didn't want to say that because those others were kind of good too. But uh, uh, Brad and I, I think we're the, probably the only two guys in, in, in Seattle who are USC fans. You know, we're surrounded by Husky fans and WSU fans, but 
So Brad, it's kind of like this, this bunker mentality that Brad and I have. Rooting, texting, USC football, two weeks, Western Michigan, USC Coliseum. Anyway, um, hey, we continue this morning. I should, probably should say you continue. I get to be here today with this uh, summer sermon series called Summer Shorts. I'm assuming all the jokes about wearing shorts have been made, about we should preach in Bermuda shorts. Have you made that joke? Yeah, oh, he's worn shorts. I, think. I just figured that was a natural. Um, but I love the title, Summer Shorts, and I love kind of what it, it's doing, look at, looking at all these, these kind of brief, uh, short books of the Bible. Today we're going to look at, at 2 John and 3 John. And just so you know where I'm going with this, I'm going to read uh, in a bit here uh, from each of those letters and, and kind of just pull out one connection point for us from each. So it'd be like an intro to those two letters, one connection point, um, but uh, kind of fun to preach from these, these two letters. To be totally honest, never, I've never preached uh, this material before in that this, I, I did take a look at these letters uh, this summer with a church, but they're just, not, it's, the summer shorts, it's not material that gets preached a whole lot in my experience, so happy to, happy to do that with you guys today. I want to get a running start, though, on uh, 2 John and 3 John by just sharing a little bit of, like, background intel on the Apostle John himself. I realize you may know a lot of this, but I'm always thinking there are folks who are newer to the Christian community, and, and it's good to give this kind of background. Uh, John was, uh, along with his older brother James, that group of uh, men called to be followers of Jesus very early on. In fact, as you read the Gospels, you get this sense that there were the 12 and then there were three that were like especially close with Jesus. And do you know who they are? Peter, James, and John. And this is the James and John brothers. It's John's material we're looking at. By the way, Jesus called these two brothers sons of thunder. Do you know what that means? Nobody knows what it means. If you read a commentary to look up, hey, why did Jesus call them sons of thunder? Nobody is for sure. I, I, nobody knows for sure. I'm guessing they were boisterous, maybe kind of loud, maybe a little bit aggressive. It was these two brothers who one time when Jesus was having a, a kind of a confrontation, they said to Jesus, hey, why don't we just call down fire from heaven and, and just roast these, and just, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So maybe they were just of kind of an aggressive, loud uh, demeanor. Who, who knows? John lived the longest of, of the original 12 apostles, lived to be a very old man. Interestingly, his brother James was the first to lose his life. Acts chapter 12, James is martyred. The uh, first of the 12 to lose his life. John, the only one of the 12 or 11, will exclude Judas, who was not martyred and lived to be a very, uh, very old, old guy. 
John is the third most prolific writer in the New Testament of the 138,000, roughly, thousand Greek words in the New Testament. John wrote 20% of them. He, came, he comes in third, 20%. I know you're dying to know who was the gold and silver medal. Silver goes to Paul. 23% of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Gold medal, 27% of the New Testament written by this person. Any, any guesses? Luke. Just two, two documents, Luke's Gospel and Acts, but they are really long. And so Luke is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. John's writings, of course, include his Gospel, the fourth Gospel, three letters, and then the last book of the Bible, the book of, of Revelation. Uh, regarding John's Gospel, it's usually kind of set apart from the first three Gospels, the first three uh, kind of look at things from the same perspective, and then you have John, and he's got kind of a, a different perspective on things. He's telling the same story, but the first three Gospels have a kind of this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, like a traditional like recounting of a story. John kind of goes deeper. John liked the sort of the, the deeper spiritual significance of stuff. So all the gospel writers notice that Jesus would feed people, you know, the feeding stories. It's John who tells us, and, and Jesus is the bread of life, kind of taking it, taking it deeper. All the gospel stories have Jesus opening people, people's eyes who were blind. It's John who says, and Jesus is the light of the whole world. And we see clearly through him. John also loved uh, dialogue. It's John's gospel that gives us these long encounters between Jesus and individuals. Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus and the woman at the well. These, these encounters. John also loved uh, monologue. In John's gospel, we have these long kind of speeches, or your, your Bible commentaries will call them discourses of Jesus. In some ways, it's hard to track with them because it's just so many words, this flow of words, this flow of teaching. But we have the temple discourses. We have the upper room discourses. Five chapters of John, 13 through 17. And it's mostly Jesus talking. So the discourses. So um, that's John's gospel. It tells the same story, but John has this knack. He wants to go like deeper into the spiritual uh, mystery and significance of stuff. As I've mentioned, uh, John also wrote three letters. We're going to look at 2 John, 3 John today. You figured out there's a there's a first John. Uh, that's probably the one we're most familiar with of the letters. Uh, there's there are great passages in there. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John four seven and eight, beloved, let us love one another. Brad referenced my my venerable age. If you're of a certain age and you hear First John four seven and eight. 
like back in the 70s and 80s, there was a song. I won't sing it for you or it'll be stuck in your head too like it's stuck in mine. You know that one? It's like I hear those words and I think of that Young Life songbook and somebody up front leading that song. Anyway, and then uh, as I mentioned, the book of Revelation, this vision given to John on the Isle of Patmos, uh, this wild, wild vision that contains more Old Testament references and allusions than any other book in the New Testament. Let me say that again. In the book of Revelation, there are more Old Testament references or allusions than any other book in the New Testament. So there's some general uh, John knowledge for you, but now to our summer shorts, uh, 2 John, 3 John, one key point from each. And uh, if you use, if you go old school and use a, you know, Gutenberg printed, pr printed Bible, I, I, like many of you, have a Bible app that I use a ton, but it's kind of neat. In, a, in most printed Bibles, you, you get to these two letters and they're just like boom, boom, one chapter each, very short. Um, and I want to look at, at each of these letters. Uh, one main point I've, I've mentioned already um, from each. So let me read some of 2 John. I'll read through verse 8, not the entire letter. In each of these letters, John refers to himself as the elder. The elder. He's probably old. And elder, of course, as we know, has a kind of spiritual status or, or significance to it. And then each letter is written to an individual. Second John is written to, and it's kind of an odd uh, expression, but the elect lady. The elect lady. And then third John written to Gaius. But let me read from second John, first uh, eight verses. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Then verse 8, and this is what I want to focus on. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what either we or you, it gets translated both ways. If you have a Bible and you're looking at it, you'll see a little superscript there noting this, that we may not lose what we have, have worked for but may win 
a full reward. So as I mentioned, it's that verse 8 I want to focus on. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for or what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. There's a kind of tension in, in Christian theology and New Testament theology. Tension maybe isn't the best word, but quite frankly, I couldn't think of a better word to use. Uh, and the, the tension goes something like this. We are totally saved by grace. Our relationship with God, is, it's all gift. It's based on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's nothing we can earn or ever deserve. It's what God does, not what we do. What we do is just receive the gift. Okay, that's one pole. And then at the other pole, and you find this teaching throughout the New Testament, and I'll use the words of Paul to, to summarize it, live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. That's something we do, right? Live in a manner that reflects the gospel. So you have, like, part A is, it's all gift. It's all what God does. And part B, then we are to live and be in this world in a way that reflects that reality. And that, I want to say a couple things about this, and this gets us to our verse here. The sequence here is super important. The gift from God comes first. Then in response, we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Two mistakes can be made. Flip the sequence, and you have what is sometimes called legalism. If I live, if I live in a certain way, then God will like me. Then God will love me, and I will be in relationship with God. That's not the gospel. That puts it all on us. If I live a certain way, then God likes me. Legalism. But the other mistake that can be made, and this is what John's, uh, 2 John verse 8 gets at, goes something like this. Oh, I get it. It's all God's doing. It's all what God has done for us through Jesus. I guess I can just kind of cruise and not worry about things. That's a mistake as well. And that's the mistake that John is concerned about when he writes this letter. God does it all through Jesus. Oh, I guess I can just downshift and not worry about living a disciplined and faithful life. I mean, it's, it's all what God does. I can take it easy. That's not the teaching of the New Testament. I'm a big fan of uh, the Tour de France bike race. Any cyclists? Any? One? Seriously? Two? Come I see those hands. Where is that hand? Thank you. Tour de France, bike race. Uh, I will acknowledge immediately, it's not an event 
made for TV in the sense that you turn it on and watch eight hours of guys in spandex riding their bikes. I, I totally get that. You have to somehow be selective and get to the exciting parts, the climbs, the breakaways, the sprints, that, that stuff. Anyway, this, this year, during the tour, uh, Lance Armstrong, eight-time winner, asterisk, eight-time, <laughs> I'm calling him an eight-time winner of the tour, did a podcast called Stages. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Anybody listen to Stages? Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if you're a cycling fan, put this for summer of 18. Uh, note to self, download Stages podcast. What Armstrong does is, with a sidekick, after each stage of the tour, and there are about 22 stages or something, they, they kind of debrief the stage. And it's, it's fascinating to listen to a guy who you know, rode in 10, 1, 8 tours to talk about the tour. I learned all kinds of interesting stuff. I will bless you by sharing some of this information very briefly with you. For example, stuff I didn't know. The tour always ends at stages. They always end at the same time. Even though there are multiple uh, different distances every day. They start at different times depending on the distance. They always end at the same time. I would have just thought if it's a long stage, you know, you start at the same time, and if it's a long stage, you end late. If it's a short stage, you end early. Uh-uh. It goes the other way. They're always ending at the same time for TV reasons. Um, here's another one. I know this is very exciting material. Um, they the teams have to stay in the assigned motel. And Armstrong said, I can't use the word in church. These are not great hotels. Boy, I want to use the word he used, but I can't. They're terrible. They're terrible motels. You have to stay in the hotel. The team, and these are multi-million dollar racing teams with buses, fancy buses, and they go to the crummy hotel, and you have to stay in your assigned crummy hotel room. It would be like if the Seahawks or NFL teams, when they traveled, the NFL said, you have to stay in the Motel 6 in SeaTac. That's required, you know, or whatever it would be. It's like they're required to stay in lousy, terrible beds and stuff. Here's another fact, and then I'm moving on. The winner or leader in the tour wears a yellow jersey. Do you know why they wear a yellow jersey? I'm going to tell you. The newspaper that started the Tour de France was printed on yellow newsprint about 100 years ago. And they said, hey, let's put the guy in first place in a yellow jersey. That's why they have a yellow jersey. Interesting. Um, but here's why I'm talking about the Tour de France. Armstrong said something very interesting, and this was insightful. In the Tour, they have hard days and medium days and easy days. 
Now, their easy day would be a difficult day for us, but to them, they're easy. Armstrong said, those easy days are very dangerous because everybody relaxes. People don't pay attention. Oh, it's an easy day. And they bump tires and go down. They, you know, crashes. Armstrong said, for riders, beware the easy day. Don't, you know, they relax and they get in trouble. It's like in mountaineering, when do accidents happen? On the descent. Hey, I made the peak. It's done. It, we're good. I'm on my way down. I may be already thinking about the hamburger and the beer, you know, in Leavenworth. And that's when the accident happens, when it seems easy. Connecting it to our John material. Yes, it's all gift. It's all gift. It's, it, the gospel is as easy as saying yes to a gift. What God has done for us through Jesus. Simple. Just say yes. But that should lead to a disciplined life. That should lead to lives worthy of the gospel. We can't let grace be understood in a way where we lose our focus. It's not our focus that is earning God's favor. You with me on this? It's not that because we're focused and disciplined, oh, then God likes us. It's not that. He likes us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. But once we say yes to that gift, we don't just relax and do whatever we want to do. We live a disciplined and focused life. Watch yourselves, John writes, so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win the full reward. Let me add uh, just one element here, that full reward spot. I don't know uh, how much Brad talks about sort of the future aspect of the gospel. You know, you can think of the whole biblical and gospel story as past, present, and future, the Christian life. You know, we look back. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, you know, the Lord's Supper. We take time, right, as Christians, to look back and remember and all that good stuff. That's the past. There's the present, like we want to be salt and light in the, our world today. You know, Brad prayed about the Charlottesville. I mean, we want to be people who are making a difference today. We want to, we want to connect to our world today, present. There's a future in the New Testament, a future focus, that I think sometimes gets left out, at least of my preaching uh, uh, today. And that is that this future awaits us Paul calls it hope, and John refers to it here as in terms of reward. There's something coming that should motivate us in our behavior today. Let me read just some other uh, scripture that get to this future element. 
Again, mindfulness of what is to come as a motivator for current behavior. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until when? Until that day of Christ Jesus that's coming. So Paul, very mindful. First Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, and into an inheritance, similar word to what John used, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for you. That's a future, that's a promise. That's a looking forward that then, in New Testament thinking, motivates our behavior today. And the Apostle Paul, again, a, a powerful verse, 2 Corinthians 4.17. How is this for perspective? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But I think this future element in my, I'll say it, I'll personalize the whole thing. In my preaching, I leave that out. And maybe it's because there's some end times preachers, teachers, books out there that are just wacky. And so we think, well, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'll focus on past and present. Don't leave the future out. It's, it's a huge motivator. If you re read the New Testament, that future focus, huge motivator for our behavior now. So our verse again, watch yourselves. Don't let the easiness of grace lead to complacency and a lack of discipline so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win that full reward that awaits us. And then Third uh, John I'll read this, and uh, this point is, will be more brief. I don't have any long Tour de France digressions in this point. Um, but third, John, let me, uh, let me read through verse 12. The elder, again, that's, he refers to himself in that term, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, I'm going to focus on two people in this reading. 
is the first guy, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, second name, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we, add, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. My, my teaching point here, my connection point, is we want to be a Demetrius, not a Diotrephes. We want to be a Demetrius, not a Diotrephes. Diotrephes, John tells us, likes to put himself first. He badmouths John. He's unwelcoming toward his fellow Christians. He's a Christian. He's a part of the church. But to put it in plain English, he's a jerk. There, again, are some other words that would be maybe more effective, but I'm, we're in church here, you know. He's a Christian, but he's a jerk. He's mean to people. He's self-centered. Um, we don't want to be that guy, right? Being a Christian entails a lot more than just being a good person, absolutely. But if we're Christians, how about this? How about at least as a baseline ethic, we're not total jerks to our fellow human beings and other folks in the church. Let's not be jerks. My kids are super helpful with me on this one. Uh, I'm at my worst when I'm on the phone with uh, a corporation and I'm in their phone system. I get all sweaty just thinking about it. Eventually you get to a human being and this happened with me just actually just yesterday. And I know they have a script they have to kind of work with. I get it. It drives me nuts because it takes forever to have the conversation and I get irritable and I'll be on the phone with like Comcast. <laughs> and uh, and I, like, I love Comcast. If you work for Comcast, uh, I, because it's, I, through Comcast I get USC football games. Um, but uh, I'll get off the phone and my kids, they'll both do this and if they're home together it's terrible. I mean they do it individually, but if they're both home, they together will, will say to me, Dad, you are such a jerk with people. It's like, no, I, no, I, no, you were. Just yesterday, I said this happened yesterday, my wife Kendi was upstairs, I was talking to, literally to Comcast. I got off the phone. She said, who are you talking to? I said, Comcast. She said, yeah, it sounded like it. 
right? Just a, just kind of, we, if we're followers of Jesus, though our flesh, may, we, you know, we want to be kind of harsh with somebody or short with somebody, we don't want to be that person. It sounds sort of simple, but I think it's true. If we're a follower of Jesus, don't, don't be a jerk to other people. It's not a great way to share the good news. We want to be Demetrius, our second guy. John says about Demetrius, he's received a good testimony from everybody. Everybody liked Demetrius. Why? I bet you because he treated everybody with respect and with some love and care and maybe a little bit of 1 Corinthians 13 in there and maybe some of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians in there. In other words, he wasn't a total, you know what, he was a pretty good dude with everybody. And again, I'm repeating myself because it's so simplistic, but at the very least in our Christian ethics... If we say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've received his grace. Just on that very basic relating with other human beings, uh, some kindness, some patience, I'm talking to myself here, uh, tenderness, understanding, compassion, right? Just like basic, I'm not a complete jerk. It'll go far in advancing our Christian, our Christian witness. So there you have John, St. John, Old Man John, John the Elder. Uh, God bless him. God bless him. He lived a long life, and he gave us lots of just great scriptural material, and we should be thankful for it. Let's join our hearts in prayer. So, Father, uh, thank you for these two short little letters from John, and I pray that you will take the words of John, the words of Scripture, and apply them to each of our lives today, Uh, remove all of my yammering, help us to just hear our Lord speaking to us through the Scriptures. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.